Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Last Word on Sens podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. And making his return to the podcast is the managing editor for Silver 7. Uh, it is Nate NKB121 on Twitter. Nate, thank you so much for joining me. How's it going today, man? My pleasure. Happy to be here. It's it's going really well, actually. Uh, my wife and daughter and I just came back from a vacation. Um, so I'm feeling I'm feeling rested and ready to talk Sens hockey. That's good because we got a ton to talk about. I know I was uh, telling you beforehand, it's been a while since I recorded, but so we definitely won't hit on everything that we've missed since the last episode, but I wanted to get some of the real big stuff over the past couple of weeks because man, Pierre Dorian has been a busy guy and I hadn't even, I don't think touched on this part. Maybe I had actually, I can't remember about if they, when they had let Pierre Maguire go, but obviously they made some shuffles in the, the front office. Uh, they pro- promoted Trent Mann as well, brought in a new AGM, um, so it's been a big different time in Ottawa and they're making some moves this off season, which is, you know, we heard a lot of talk about it last year, nothing really happened. Nothing came to fruition, but this year it is not just all talk. There's absolutely, you know, they're putting their money where their mouth is. And let's start with the, the move that happened first. And, and that would be the Colin white buyout. Um, you know, something that was, I think speculated a decent amount, I would say definitely over the past season with white, not being able to stay healthy and, he just really never lived up to the contract that he signed a couple years ago. And because he was still an RFA, it actually made it very cheap for the Ottawa centers to buy him out. It was cost them one third of the contract, not two thirds like it normally would. Um, so if anyone's curious, the, the column white buyout goes, they have an $875,000 cap hit for this year. And next they actually get a $625,000 cap credit in year three and then 875 for three more years. So um, obviously his money will be on the books for a little longer, but they save, uh, I can't remember what the, I think it was like 10 million in real money or something like that. So definitely helps the wallet and it gives them a roster spot and some cap space from now on going forward. Um, you know, give me your thoughts. Just, you know, what, when you saw the white, buyout i'm assuming it probably wasn't a shock to you but you know just give me your thoughts on the buyout and you know from the team's perspective especially sure so it was not a surprise i think i wrote at the start of this season that white was playing for his career with the Sens. um i i started actually even to think that maybe even last year so you know he had the quote-unquote big season in 1819 um when he, you know, had 41 points, I think it was, um, playing on a line mostly with Mark Stone. And that was kind of the high water mark. The Sens made a bet on him. You know, they set out and, and signed him to a contract without really having a lot of evidence to show that, you know, he was going to live up to that contract. I actually didn't think it was a bad bet at the time. And, you know, the fact that they've had to buy him out doesn't mean that it wasn't a reasonable gamble, especially since they had to buy, they were able, pardon me, to buy him out for so little in the end. So, you know, they took a shot. It didn't turn out. They also took a shot on Drake Batherson and it has very much turned out. So to me, you know, the Colin White situation is unfortunate because he seems like a genuinely good dude. I think he's a capable NHLer. Um, he's better I think, than, than some of the players the Sens will likely roster next year. And in a world where he was getting paid, you know, half of his dollar value, he probably is still on the Senators. But for the amount they were paying him, they needed him to score. And he didn't score enough. And he wasn't healthy enough. I think, to me, probably the, 
the the thing that's going to be a little bit disappointing both for the team and for White is that he just wasn't healthy the last couple of years. So, you know, his production wasn't fantastic when he was healthy, but he's played, you know, less than a season's worth of games across the last two seasons. And, you know, with the types of injuries that he had, big long-term injuries, it I think it's difficult to kind of evaluate him. So from the team's perspective, I think it had to happen. Um, you know, Ottawa's financial situation being what it is, his health situation being what it is, doesn't make it less of a bummer. And it also, I, I guess my big point is, it doesn't mean it was a bad thought process that led to that contract. Like a team in Ottawa's situation needs to take shots on contracts like that with young guys. Um, and it worked out for Batherson. And, you know, from a few years back, it worked out for Carlson in a big way. Um, so I, 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 I hope they don't get discouraged from taking shots on contracts anymore um, because that would be a bad lesson to take. Yeah, I definitely agree. And, and, you know, I think you use the word unfortunate and that is the exact word I used. You know, I wrote about this last week uh, for last word on hockey. And I said, you know, the, the title of the article I gave was Colin White buyout unfortunate, but it's a needed step for the Ottawa Senators. And, you know, it's, it sucks that it didn't work because, you know, as you mentioned, and what I really thought about every time I thought about Colin White was he was really the first guy they took that money and kind of paid in, you know, from the steps on from Carlson and Stone um, you know, he was kind of that first guy of the next wave where they're like, no, we're going to invest in this team. And obviously Shabbat came a little later and then Brady Kachuk and now Batherson and I'm sure Stutzla and Norris or Norris will obviously be this summer and Stutzla will be soon enough as well. Um, well, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate it didn't work, but absolutely. This is, I would much rather them sign that kind of contract every single time than giving some 28, 29 year old $4.5 million for six years into their thirties, right? Like, and this is the exact reason why is if it doesn't work out, it's a cheap buyout at your absolute worst. And honestly, like if you would have told me that some team might've taken Colin White, I wouldn't have been shocked. I know there was rumors that Ottawa and Montreal were having conversations, but Ottawa might've had to take another contract back. So they just decided not to, which is fair, but there's always an easy way out is my point. And yeah, the upside of having a Drake Batherson at whatever he's at, is it five point something? Or is it even that? Is it? I think yeah, it's exactly. Five seven or five five, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, four four point nine seven five. Just the the value of Drake Batherson at under five million dollars for his entire prime, basically. Just it doesn't it outweighs you know like that the positive of that outweighs having two or three Colin White type contracts on your books because you know it's just so worth the risk. And Colin White, I think you know you you hit the nail on the head when he said you know he's a good NHL player. He screams to me a type of guy who's going to go to Colorado or Tampa on a one-year yep. deal, super cheap, go on a deep playoff run, you know, be a big part of it on a third line that, you know, plays defensively responsible. And he's probably going to cash out on another four by four or, you know, a longer term deal at a cheaper AV, kind of like Nick Paul did this year. You know, yep. that, he just, he screams that type of player to me. He's a good third line player. He was just always overpaid in Ottawa. And unfortunately with a hard salary cap and also an internal budget in Ottawa, you're always going to be looking at the dollar and cents and, you know, for Colin white, it's unfortunate. I mean, he took the contract. I don't blame him for taking the contract. Yeah. I think, you know, like they, they always tell the players, go get your money while you can. Um, but yeah, it, it just kind of something that needed to happen and probably the best for both team and player, because I really do think this is going to get Colin white another opportunity to shine in a good spot. I, I hope that, you know, I hope teams that are competitive come calling for him so he can take a one year prove it deal because I think if he does that, he will absolutely rebuild his value and probably find another 
medium length contract somewhere else. Totally agree. I actually think that the Nick Paul comparison is very apt. They're different players stylistically, like the things that they do are a little bit uh, different, like their skill sets are different, but their optimal usage is very similar. I think they're both good defensive third line players who have just enough skill to pitch in, you know, to the level of 20 to 30 points. And you need those guys on the third line of, of very good teams. Um, I think in Ottawa's case, the other issue with White beyond just the contract um, is something of a fit perspective in the sense that they probably want to get some more of their kids in the in an opportunity on, on the third line. Um, and if they are serious about, about loading up the top six, which they seem to be, and we'll talk about the Debrinket trade, then, you know, what are you doing with Shane Pinto, Alex Formanton, and, um, you know, Mathieu Joseph? Those guys probably play on your third line. And it's hard for me to see an argument to play white over those three in, in the current situation, right? So I, I think it's, um, it, yeah, it's, it's too bad it happened. I agree with you. He's, he's going to get a shot somewhere. I wouldn't be surprised if he, he does something similar to what Nick Paul did for Tampa. Yeah, exactly. Like he's just, he was a great player who could slide up and down the lineup. You know, obviously he's more suited in a bottom six role, but if you have an injury for a couple of weeks to your second center, he can, or second left wing, he can slide up there and, and do a fine enough job. So I, I absolutely think we will still see enough of Colin White in the league um, going forward. And again, it's a shame it didn't work out, but um, I think, you know, you have to look at it as a positive if you're a Sens fan. This was step number one and them again, starting to show that they're, they're not afraid to make money or spend money, sorry. Uh, and, you know, make that next step forward this year, which they desperately need to make because they haven't done it for a number of years now. And, you know, especially last year, I think with all, all the talk that they had coming into the year last year, just all summer, it was, we're going to go get this. We're going to go get that. We're going to be a great team and nothing happened. And not shockingly, they felt pretty flat and, you know, it's just nice to see that they're not falling into that trap for a second year in a row. And not only are they just buying out white, because it'd be one thing if they bought out Colin White and didn't do anything with his money. Right away, they go and make a giant move. They pick up Alex Debrickett for the seventh overall pick, the 39th overall pick, and a third rounder next year, or maybe 2024, sorry, um, but a third round pick in the future. Um, I'll get, I love this deal. I, I just, this is, the home run deal for Pierre Dorian, maybe the best move he's made as the general manager of the auto centers. Yeah, I'm, I'm in total agreement. Uh, I think, you know, history is borne out that, that the Carlson move was, you know, the, the most beneficial to the team, just in terms of how things landed Norris turning out to be the player that he is them, you know, falling backwards a little bit into the Stuzla pick um, you know, that's, that's had, real substantial payoff, but I, I totally agree, you know, going through my mind, thinking about the deals that Dorian has made that at the time of the trade, you could fairly say, you know, we're, we're good. This has got to be near the very top. I also really like the Pajot deal. I think getting the picks that they did from the Islanders um, was immediately very clearly a, a good trade, but besides that, it's, it's hard to think of another one that's so clearly positive. And I think it's it's so clearly positive because they, first of all, DeBrinkett's a very good player. He's an established, very good player. And he is exactly what they need. I think that one of the 
biggest things that you could point at in terms of the sends, you know, the things that were preventing them from potentially, you know, taking the next step as, as you alluded to earlier is the, was to some degree is still the lack of, you know, top flight skill in the forward group, right? There really are, to my counting, you know, before the Debrinka trade, Stuzla and Batherson to me were like top end skill guys. I think Norris and Kachuk are, are useful, you know, top six NHLers, don't get me wrong. Um, but they weren't kind of game breakers in the same way, right? And that's what Batherson and Stuzla are. That's what Debrinkit is. And just the value of his finishing alone, um, kind of an area that the Sens struggled in quite badly and have struggled in, is immense. And it's immense because there wasn't, to me, an immediate internal solution that was you know, readily, um, you know, predictable, right? The sends forward prospects that were, could potentially still come in, you know, looking at a Shane Pinto, looking at a Ridley Grieg, you know, looking, I guess, Tyler Boucher, is he a top prospect anymore? Um, maybe he'll have a bounce back season. I shouldn't bury him so fast, but none of those guys, even in the rosiest of predictions, were going to be the types of scores that Debrinkit is. Debrinkit's one of the five to 10 best goal scorers in the whole league. And the Senators had no one like that. Even Suzlin Batherson, who I, I love deeply, were not that good. So absolute home run in terms of addressing their needs. The other thing I will say is that to me, even if the worst case happens and they have to trade to Brinkett after this season, because, you know, he says, I'm going to take my $9 million qualifying offer and walk to UFA, which is kind of what happened with Stone, basically. And the Sens ended up having to trade him. It wouldn't, unfortunately, surprise me if Tabrinkit went that route, the Sens would have to trade him. I'm not, not saying that's going to happen. I don't have any reason to believe that's happened. But if that's, that's kind of the worst case scenario, y- you know, this year plus whatever, half a year of Tabrinkit next year, plus whatever they would get back from a trade, to me is worth more than the, than the picks they traded already. And that's like the worst case scenario. If you get a, a you know, the best case scenario is to bring it signs, a reasonable contract for the next six or seven years. He's only 24. So, you know, he's turning 25 this year, but they they're getting him for a big chunk of his prime and, you know, is a meaningful impact player on a team that actually becomes legitimately good. Then, you know, that that's nothing. Those picks are, are nothing in, in that context. So to me, even in the worst case scenario, the Sens likely come out ahead and everything else on top of that is gravy. And the top end, the actual best outcome is so good. It's it's so, so good that I, you know, I, I have a hard time seeing this as anything but a home run. I see a few places, you know, people commenting on, uh, you know, are they going to be able to sign them? Was it too much to trade picks? They didn't trade the first overall selection. They didn't trade any any prospects that are going to walk into the NHL tomorrow. Like it's the the price was the price. And if you want to see how people on the Chicago side feel about this, I mean, boy, go go look up you know any any of the writing on like our SB Nation site. You know, Second City. Go to um, the Athletics. You know, Scott Lazarus and uh, what's this? The Scott Powers for me and Mark Lazarus. You know all their stuff are just panning the Blackhawks for this. 
So it's very hard for me to see this as anything but a, a total home run. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I can't believe they got this deal done without having to add in one of their better prospects. You know, obviously we knew Jake Sanderson would be off the table. He was never going the other way in a deal or anything like that. But I thought absolutely they were going to have to throw in like a Ridley Gregg or someone like that on top of, honestly, these picks as well. You know, like it wasn't Greg instead of a second or third or something like that. It was probably, I thought, seventh overall. It was going to be a, a solid prospect and probably a couple more picks or even a roster player or something like that. The fact that they took a one, two, and three to get done, and obviously that one is seven overall. It does have some value, a good amount of value. But, um, you know, my buddy Chase McCallum, who I do my other podcast with, he's been uh, playing around with draft pick value. And he has, you know, so what he's been doing basically is he takes the average of every draft position and the war over an eight-year period for every pick there. Um, Basically, what he's had, the draft picks that Ottawa gave up, the value would be, he has Debrinket making that up in two and a half seasons, just under that. So to your point, if Debrinket was here, absolute worst case scenario, they can't keep him for whatever reason. They have two years to sell him, but they can't do it. He's here for one and a half. And then you're minimum at a deadline. You're getting a first and a, probably a good prospect for him. That's just yep. what we see guys of his caliber go for at the deadline. Right. So, you know, I have, and even that, I, I really, I, I'm very confident that they will be able to get a deal with the Brinkett done, you know, I, I did see a lot of, and it was mostly outside Ottawa Twitter people criticizing it, but saying, oh, what's Ottawa doing? They're walking him right to UFA, like he's a UFA in two years or whatever. Yes, that's true. But as you mentioned, Ottawa needed a game breaker. They needed another top-end guy. That's not coming internally. You need to go make that externally. And those guys aren't easy to find. You know, Ottawa's not a destination. You know, they're getting better, but they're still not a destination that top-tier free agents are going to want to come. Evgeny Malkin is probably not having Ottawa on the top of his list this summer, right? So you need to go make an avenue to go find those players. And trading for an RFA who has another year of control and giving him two years to sell him on what you're building with this team is absolutely the way to do it, you know? And yes, you are going to have to pay him. But I would be okay if they pay a multiple-time 40-goal scorer who also had 32 in the shortened season last year, you know? Like... And honestly, I, I think having him as an RFA for this year almost maybe works out better for the team. So they can't give him a Bobby Ryan deal where they load him up with money before he even plays a game. And may, I'm not saying to Brinkett's going to be Bobby Ryan or anything like that, but they get a full year to see how to meshes with the team, how the team meshes with the Brinkett and both sides get to go from there. And I, I think that's a good thing. You know, there's nothing suggesting that next year he doesn't sign a six, seven, eight year deal with the Ottawa Senators. There's nothing suggesting just yet he will, but I love the idea of at least getting a full year to go see, to bring it on this team and also see what other people do with someone as skilled as to bring it. Because the biggest thing we talked about, I thought a lot last year, just on Twitter in general, was how lacking, especially Tim Stutzless live mates were at times. And, you know, the team ran into injuries, that's going to happen, but the depth shallowed up really quick to the point where it was like, you look on his wing sometimes, you're like, it's damn impressive a 20-year-old is dragging these two guys. It'd be like, no offense to Tyler Ennis or Adam Gaudet, but it'd be those two guys on his wings. It's like, okay, yeah, now you can plug him in with Alex Dabrinkit, or you can move Dabrinkit up a line and put Drake Batherson down with Tim Stutzla. Um, you know, you can move Brady Kachuk around, and, and obviously Formanton's there as well. And who knows if they add another, you know, piece for that middle six kind of. But you have a solid top six that you can work around and move around. And that's not even including a guy like Shane Pinto, who's probably going to be a three C as well. So um, 
at the very least, you know, and, and again, like I, I'm very optimistic that the worst case scenario won't happen, but even at the very least, the pauses are just so great for this deal that I just, I will defend this deal until the day I die. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm a big believer in the notion that you have to evaluate a trade's quality at the time it's made because that's the information that, you know, the decision makers are working with when they make the deal. And, um, you know, things can change over time and you can look back and say, you know, it turned out better or worse than we expected. But in terms of evaluating the actual trade itself, you need to do it at the time of the trade. So yeah, in that sense, it's very hard for me to, um, to critique. The one thing I would say, you brought up an interesting point about wanting to see Debrinket in Ottawa for a year. Uh, I think there's some merit in that. I do think there's some risk though. Um, my, my general feeling is that Debrinket's not someone that I am worried about in terms of giving a contract to that won't pan out. There's actually, to me, this is a, a, a bit of a, a detour here, but it's something I've been thinking about a lot. I actually am of the mind that the next contract or the contract the Sens are about to do with Josh Norris has a lot more risk to it than a Debrinkit contract. And the reason I say that it is Debrinkit has a well-established track record. You could maybe say, you know, he has done a lot of it with Patrick Kane, who is, you know, one of the league's, you know, premier producers. And so if you were the Sens, maybe you take that to the bargaining table and say, you know, this is our position. I would be very, very tempted to make him a pretty sizable offer, you know, the first day they can, which is a little bit later uh, this summer, I think. The issue with, you know, him versus Norris, for instance, is while I think Josh Norris is a good, valuable player, Norris's track record is very short. And the main thing that Josh Norris has going for him the thing that makes Josh Norris right now like a borderline top line player, at least from a production perspective, is uh, an incredible goal scoring binge on the power play. Like Norris is fine five on five, but he really is not spectacular five on five. In fact, his five on five goal production is, is more like third line caliber. He has been on a heater on the power play. Like it, there was a point last season when it seemed like he was scoring on every shot he took. And I think that he has a good shot. I think that he is a good finisher. He's also converting 20% of his shots right now. And if you pay Josh Norris, like the, you know, 40 goal scorer, he was on pace to be with this little evidence, there is risk in that there's, and you know, the number that you would get to if you want to give, you know, Norris the, um, you know, big long-term contract and you want to pay him like a 40 goal scorer, you probably need to pay him something like seven by seven or like seven yeah. by eight. Seven and by seven is what I would expect. That's a big number. I'm not, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I really go both ways on this. Sometimes I'm like, yes, they should do it. Because as we talked about before, part of the reason, part of the way you build a good team is, as a, um, as a franchise in Ottawa situation is by taking bets. But the one thing that I get most scared about when you're taking, you know, these kinds of bets is guys who are on big time shooting benders. And 
Norris is on a bender. It's It's been going on for, it was basically like 20 games last season where he was just, like he was shooting like 30% or something. So if there was a guy between the two of them that I actually might want to see on a, on a show me contract, I would rather see Norris short term uh, than, than Debrinkit. Debrinkit, I'm basically convinced you could give him a, a pretty good sizable deal it would be totally defensible to me. If the Sens ended up giving Norris the deal we're talking about seven by seven, it wouldn't be the end of the world, but I, I really think there's risk there. There's, there's a, there's, there's some real downside potential. I, I agree. You know, he doesn't drive play as well as maybe some people think he does. And even his defensive metrics, statistically speaking, are not as strong as what people thought they were when he came in the league. They're not they're bad. So, so. Yeah. They're just, they're just okay, which is fine, but you need to know that his shot is going to be a constant weapon if you want to justify giving a player like that seven by seven, right? And yeah. um, I, I was just looking at Evolving Hockey here. They have his projected term as two years as the most likely, three years as the second most likely. His cap hit on a two-year deal would be 4.9. Cap hit on a three-year deal would be 5.3. So that would be a bridge in, in line with what we've seen with guys like um, Braden Point probably as well. I think Points was a little higher, which makes sense because he's a better player as well um but definitely you know that top line center uh, i would say norris is kind of the fringe one too he reminds me a lot of like kyle tourist kind of where he was where if he's your absolute best center by a mile you're probably not got a great team but if you have two of norris or if he's your 2c you're looking very very good because he's a very solid 2c that's for sure um well yeah if you get up to a seven-year term with him um or eight-year term the cap hit gets up to 6.5 6.7-ish 6.8 ish million dollars. And so I would assume, you know, it's probably going to be around that seven by 6.5, seven by seven. And it wouldn't be the end of the world. That's for sure. Um, but I, I do agree. There is significant risk, whereas they could hand to bring it eight by nine tomorrow or whatever. And I would be totally content with that. Yeah. And I, I agreed. I also think um, it has not been much discussed, but I do think for, the reasons we were just talking about the Norris negotiation has the potential to be contentious. Like if I was in the Sens front office, um, it would be tricky. Like, as I said, I would have a little bit of trepidation. I think he's a good player, but it's not a slam dunk. But if I'm Josh Norris, I totally, from the player's perspective, understand wanting to be paid, you know, like a 40 goal guy, like one of the top guys on the team. So I, you know, I don't have any insider info. I'm not trying to be a doomsday say or anything like that. And, you know, as I said, if they do end up giving him seven by seven, I'd be mostly fine with it, but I do think it is a potential to be contentious. And I do think it is, the, there is downside risk there. Um, yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Okay. I think it's, you know, it's just fair to say with a guy, anyone who shoots 20%, you can't expect that they're going to do that again. Yeah, exactly. Is he is he now a, the best shooter in the world? Probably not. Yeah. Um, but you know what? If he he definitely has a good shot. You know, we've all seen he's got a good shot. If he's scoring at fifteen percent, you know, it's probably still worth it. If it turns out, you know, he's a true talent, ten percent shooter or something, you you know, nastier, right? So, anyways, that just a bit of a digression. But I do I do find the parallels interesting between you know, to bring it and, and Norris, because I, I think that at least in terms of goal scoring production, 
Norris wants to get paid like Debrinkit is going to get paid because that's kind of how he sees himself. He sees himself as a 40 goal scorer, which he should. And frankly, you know, for you're a pro athlete, you got to be borderline like delusional in your self-confidence. So, you know, I'm sure he sees himself that way. Um, and, you know, if the Sens want a sure thing, Debrinkit's the sure thing. If they want to take a shot on a less sure thing, then, you know, hopefully, hopefully Norris signs and he is a 40 goal guy. Cause you know, if, if Norris is from a production perspective, anyways, this, this same guy going forward for the next, you know, five years and the Brinkett's on board and he's producing like that. Now we're talking now, now, now we're starting to talk about some, some real improvement. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, from Ottawa's perspective in the Norris negotiations, what they're going to say is you haven't hit 40. Yes, you were on pace to do it this year, but you didn't do it. So until you do it, it you know, it doesn't usually seem to count around the league. Um, and the other thing I think they're going to say is um, Debrinkin has a track record of doing it. He's already done it twice. He was on pace to do it a third time. Norris has only been on pace to do it once. Right. And, and um, you know, I, I've heard, especially it feels like, I can't remember what radio show, some radio show was talking about though, but it was like, Scoring 35 goals once doesn't make you a 35 goal score or a, a permanent 35 goal score if you usually score 25, right? Same idea with 40, same idea with 50. If you hit 50 once, you were a one-time 50 goal scorer, but you were a 40 goal scorer throughout your career. And, and that is much more accurate, right? And, and I think that's kind of what the team might say to Josh Norris. And, you know, it'll depend, obviously, how he feels. I could absolutely see a two, three-year bridge deal I think three might walk around UFA. So it'd be whatever walks him before a year before UFA probably, or a five-year deal where he he gets, that would take him to his 28. He would be, you know, you'd buy a year or two of UFA off of him. Um, but then he'd be set up to go get another deal after that. I could absolutely see any term really working with Norris. And um, I, I don't think I would have an issue with it, whether it's a two, a five, a seven-year deal. Uh, as long as it's obviously in a reasonable cap hit for, you know, that amount, not a term. Yeah, no, to- totally agree. I think there's, there's also, you know, there's no indication that they're at an impasse with him or anything. Um, but, you know, they're just, there are a range of possibilities, I think possible with the Norris contract for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, let's keep moving here. Um, the other thing I'd written down was just, I wanted to see if you had any, any takeaways from the draft itself. Obviously it was a lot less busy than, um, past years because Ottawa traded their top two picks for Alex to bring it himself. Um, so, you know, they didn't pick until I think it was the end of the mid third and third, um, something like that. And, you know, they, they did make a couple selections. Uh, I don't pretend to be a, a huge draft guy. I read up on all, most of the first round prospects and stuff like that, but once you get into the second, third, or fourth rounds, I'm like, oh, I just hope they, they kind of pick for upside. And I will say, it kind of seemed like that's what they did from what I was reading. It felt like there was a lot of uh, high potential picks in terms of boom or bust, maybe. And, and I'm quite okay with that. But I want, I want to see, you know, um, did you have any takeaway, just high level, low, any specific prospects, any takeaways you had from the draft? Sure. So um, I'll say two things up front. One, I'm also not a huge prospect guy. Um, at the same time, our site, Silver 7, in my opinion, um, has the best prospect coverage that's available for Sens fans um, because we have um, Ari Maharaj, who writes for the site, um, and, you know, until last season, Colin Cudmore as well. And those two, you know, fantastic um, 
prospect and draft coverage in general. Um, you know, this year, uh, Ari, um, with Colin moving on to other things, Ari covered a lot of it. Um, if you haven't read it yet, um, this morning he posted a kind of a, a recap of every Sun's draft pick with detailed scouting reports for every single one of them. Um, so, you know, most of what I can talk about is from, you know, working with Ari and reading his stuff and, and just generally having a very, very high regard for him. Um, so I'll just, I'll plug that while we're talking here. Um, and, you know, Aries, he's a really nice guy. He's a great person to work with. So um, anything, anything that I say that sounds good, I'll credit to Aries. Anything that sounds bad is, uh, is totally my fault because I'm a dummy. Um, but um, in, in terms of the, the prospects that they, the, the, the picks they did end up making, you know, Philip Nordberg um, was the first one in, in the second round, late second round, the last pick of the second round. So to your original point, they didn't have any really top end guys. You know, we're not talking about, you know, Kachuk versus Zadina, you know, Stuzla versus Raymond or whoever, right? Um, so in, in that sense, you know, we're not talking about players that are likely to impact the team right away. And I do, in a general sense, agree with your assessment that they seem to have taken on some real projects. And that that is actually, in a general sense, something that I am also on board with, because the timing is such that it does not make sense to be drafting players with the ability to contribute in the NHL in a season or two at kind of a reduced ceiling. What makes sense is to take people who you think have the potential to be bigger impact players with three or four years worth of work, maybe five years worth of work in some cases, um, because that's the timing, that's the window of things, right? Like the the general core of the team, plus, you know, the, the top prospects that are not, you know, haven't contributed on the NHL roster yet, you know, Pinto, Griggs, Anderson, um, Thompson, JBD, blah, blah, blah. You know, those people are there and you add them all together. That's a, that's a big pool to work from. Anyone you're drafting this year is not, breaking in there so the general kind of you know take some swing strategy uh, i'm also good with the um name that probably interested me the most um when you know i'm looking through the picks uh was thomas hamara um who is the czech defenseman um the thing that i found really interesting about hamara is that he is different from the Sens typical profile for a defenseman. He's six feet tall, so he's not a big guy for a defenseman. And his primary attribute is that he's a really good puck mover. So I'm a big fan of that kind of thing. I'm a very big believer in the idea that um, teams still dramatically overvalue size. Like size is is, you know, I, I, or can be a useful thing in the NHL. Um, but every year, and I mean, the, the Senators actually just traded for the most famous guy to slide because of his size, right? Like to bring it by almost every stats model, you know, reviewing the draft said that guy was a star or a borderline star. And yet he fell because he was five foot seven, maybe generously. Um, he's just a little guy. Um, but Hamara is very interesting to me because he, 
you know, track the skills look really good. He, you know, was a standout um, at international tournaments for Czechia. Um, I am most intrigued by him. The the Sens obviously, you know, they spent their second round pick on uh, Norberg, uh, who, you know, big guy, much more in the classic Sens mold, you know, six four, two ten or whatever. Um, but has a lot of, you know, strong physical tools, like seems like, you know, pretty decent skater, um, does a lot of things well for someone his size. Um, very, very physical, obviously. Shoots the puck like, a you know, got a rocket. Not super fantastic game sense, not super fantastic, you know, overall, I don't know, offensive skill set. And um that's much more in keeping with the the Sens uh, kind of tradition of of drafting defensemen I think it'll be interesting you know to your point drafting someone in and you know hoping you can kind of build them up into something they're counting on the fact that they can train up his hockey IQ and all that I'm I'm generally a little bit skeptical of that like I I don't know hockey IQ is very hard to teach um some guys just never get it I, I played with plenty of them um but um it is it is interesting that they are they do seem to be you know reaching on not reaching but selecting players that are a little more boomer bust to your point and i in general i agree with that strategy um who knows maybe nordberg turns out great um i don't i don't hate the pick i certainly don't know enough about it to have a super strong opinion one way or another but at least in terms of the kind of profile of player that they they took, I am really interested by Hemera. Um, that's, that's the one where, you know, wh- I, I wouldn't be surprised if in three or four years, we're talking about, you know, someone who's contributing to the Suns. Yeah. I, I think, you know, just in general with the skills thing, I, I think it's a lot easier to teach things like skating, um, you know, and, and more of the physical trait, you know, you can help work on a diet or a meal plan to, you know, add some muscle and, and bulk guys up to, you know, get them a little more physical or whatever. But yeah, hockey IQ, I think is something we've seen that if you don't have it, 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 it can be really hard to teach. Um, not impossible all the time. And, you know, sometimes maybe they just need a different environment to show it a little more. Um, but I, I definitely agree where I think it's, you probably would rather have the hockey IQ down and teach the skating maybe later, but you need to have one or the other. I think if you're going to have a prospect where you're going to work with, because if you're trying to work on, on both, and that's why I'm always so, you know, not negative, but just so cautiously optimistic about the guys where it's like, yeah, he just does a little bit of everything. Okay. He doesn't do everything, anything good. It's like, no, I probably rather him do one thing really, really well. So you can teach the other things and he can grow that into his game because he's already got that strong point to build from instead of trying to build on four different branches or whatever. And, and you know, that's just a, a general thing that I've kind of come to think of. And um, it's not, it's not gospel by any means. I think every prospect takes a different road. There's all kinds of ways to develop different prospects. So, and, and I would argue that the Sens have done a pretty good job in the past couple of years at, um, you know, helping develop some prospects and also using their AHL team to, you know, be a more of a development land where even five, six years ago, it was more of just a way that they were trying to make money they kind of turn that around, you know, where now we see guys like Norris have come up, even Nick Paul, you know, did his time in the AHL and, you know, there's a, go down the list, Drake Batherson spent his time. And that really, I thought helped his game because he looked like a night and day player from, you know, a couple of years ago. And then he spent some time in the AHL. So 
Um, I, I do think this team has done a much better job of as of late helping to develop some of those prospects, which gives me faith. You know, um, I don't think they're maybe as good as their biggest creditors give them credit for it, but they're definitely not as bad as their detractors either. They're probably just a, a solid average team at it, which is all you can really ask for because they have a good core already in place, if you ask me. And now it's just about finding guys that in three, four years can complement. you know, obviously if you can find a star in the fourth round or whatever, that's awesome. That's great. But the team already looked good enough going forward where you just need guys to come play cheap, be on an ELC for a couple of years and just be good NHL players when they come up. And, you know, I, I think, you know, th this kind of draft, gives them the opportunity to do that, especially working towards that. Because as you said, they don't need to be in the NHL or in the NHL this year or next year. No. And I, I haven't read as much about the kind of, you know, follow-up and analysis of, of the picks yet. Um, you know, some, some summer reading, but the general impression I got as well is that this round of picks wasn't as panned you know, by people who observed the draft as last year's. Um, and um, I know, you know, a lot of Sens fans got their backs up a bit about last year. And for lack of a better term, a lot of draft analysts shitting on the Sens selections. Um, it, it unfortunately does seem like last year's a bit of a lost year. Um, you know, not a lot of the guys that they picked surprised one of the things you could in the past say about the Sens unconventional selections is that a number of them you know in their post-draft years exceeded a lot of projections not always but it happened enough times that you know you could you could kind of say well the Sen they're not totally crazy pretty hard to think of too many people from last year's draft class who kind of exceeded those projections so I do take in a general sense some comfort in the fact that you know this year that doesn't seem to be the case um maybe that has to do with the fact that um they were able to do more scouting maybe there was just more you know last year's draft was always going to be hard because of of covid stuff and the, and you know getting so few opportunities to see some of the selections um but yeah the, the general consensus seems to be a lot more positive on it which i also take some comfort from yeah, absolutely agree. Um, let's move on here. We got about 10 more minutes left, uh, but I did want to hit on, you know, it's unfortunate the timing that we're recording. It doesn't look like we're going to get the Matt Murray return. Um, so, you know, instead of wildly speculating what a deal might look like, uh, I, I kind of wanted to get your um, macro level thoughts on the uh, on a trade uh, instead. You know, once they re-signed Forsberg, it kind of felt like the writing was going to be on the wall for one of Gustafson or Murray for at least this year because Gustafson was on a one-way deal. I'd have to imagine if they waived him, he would probably get scooped up as just a, a 23 year old goalie who's shown some promising, you know, in past years or whatever. Um, at the draft, it became very obvious they're going to move Murray. It looks almost guaranteed he is going to the Toronto Maple Leafs. And, you know, all the rumors that we've seen is that Ottawa's probably going to be retaining a, a good chunk of the contract, which, um, yeah, so Dreger actually just tweeted out four minutes ago expectation is Murray trade to Toronto will get done tonight. Murray will be healthy and ready by camp. Uh, Leafs are banking on the structure of their team, providing Murray support he needs for a bounce back season. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the return actually is. Um, 
you know, obviously Murray was one that the, the I would say a controversial contract definitely at the time when they signed it, uh, especially seeing as Markstrom got six by six, two minutes later or whatever. But, um, you know, is this the right move in your opinion to move away from Matt Murray? Two-part answer. Um, the first is that I it, it's the right move in the sense that, you know, without having a whole lot of extra information, you know, I, I read what everyone else reads and, you know, talk to people a little bit. I'm not an insider, but I talk to people a little bit. It does seem like it's basically personal with Murray. There is an issue... The relationship between Murray and the organization is extremely frayed, right? Um, head office, the coach, whoever, like, you know, it's just not good. And so in that sense, you know, it, it at some point it becomes very difficult to return a player who simply does not want to be there and who the organization does not want to be there. So in that sense, you know, in a vacuum, it's probably the right move to move on from Matt Murray. The question of whether the trade is going to be good or not is a little bit unknowable i you know cringe to think back to that you know aborted deal with buffalo where you know by all reports the sens were retaining 25 percent of salary and were trading down from the 7 to 16 that seems like a disaster to me that is a terrible trade um, and it's really funny to think that Dorian later that same day went, or, went ahead and, and traded, you know, the seventh pick uh, for, for Debrinkit and as part of that contract, you know, as we said, one of his best trades we've ever seen. So I, the man boggles the mind. Also underlines how badly they want to get rid of Matt Murray. Um, so in terms of what the trade looks like, we really need to see what the sweetener is. Um, if they're going to Toronto, Toronto seems to have, look, Toronto seems to have priced, or seems to have backed itself into a corner. Um, and I would have thought that they had all the leverage. If they didn't like Matt Murray, they didn't have to trade for Matt Murray. Um, but they, you know, they seem to have missed out on Campbell. They seem to have missed out on, you know, all their various solutions to their goaltending problems. And, you know, maybe the sweetener is not going to be that bad. So, you know, fingers crossed in that regard. In terms of, whether it's the right call for next season for the Sens goaltending. I think that Forsberg was going to be the starter based on their recent form. Forsberg was the best bet to give them the best goaltending. So not having Murray, I don't think is a big impact in that way. Putting all of your eggs in the Forsberg Gustafson basket is risky. It is very risky. You know, Anton Forsberg has had 40 good NHL games or whatever it is, right? And it's so funny to me to see a lot of the analysis around this being so confident in, in Forsberg. Like, do we not remember Mike Condon? Do we not remember Andrew Hammond? Like, Sens, Sens fans have experience on their team twice in the last seven years about, you know, what can happen when you bet on career backups who have hot runs. So maybe Forsberg is good. It is a huge risk. I don't think that Murray was ever going to be the solution. I think he's too hurt slash not good anymore. Sorry to Matt Murray, but you know, 
trading him, I don't think it hurts. It doesn't hurt the chemistry. They clearly want him gone. Um, if it, if they're not paying too big of a sweetener, it's a terrible contract. So, you know, it's probably wise to move on from it. And I don't think he was going to be helping the goaltending situation next year. So on, on all three fronts, I think it's totally fine to trade him. They are beat. They are, unless there's a goalie move coming though, it is a huge risk to start with just Forsberg and Gustafson. For sure. And, and you know, I go back and forth because goaltending is so random that, yep. you know, I think if they are at least going to do such an unproven tandem, I'd much rather it be at the cap hit those two are where they make a combined $4 million or whatever it is, instead of Matt Murray 6.5, that is probably just as random of an outcome this year, let's be honest. And yeah, unfortunately, the biggest thing for me is just health. I, I just, I don't see Matt Murray being a guy who can start 45, 50 games consistently for you. And at that cap hit, you just can't do it, you know? And uh, I'm, I'm going to be really curious to see what the sweetener is because I tweeted today, you know, I've, I follow a lot of people. I got a lot of friends that are Toronto fans. So I follow a lot of people from Toronto Twitter and obviously I'm really in the sense Twitter. So I've got to see kind of both sides of it. One of these sides are going to be so disappointed at yeah. what this trade looks like tonight. Some Somebody is going to be pissed off. You can pretty much guarantee it. I totally yes. agree with that. Because I've seen multiple takes of saying, oh yeah, Toronto doesn't have leverage because they backed themselves in the corner, which I think they have more than I thought they would have. But at the yep. same time, at the end of the day tonight, if you know Dubas looks at it and just does not like the deal, he absolutely still could walk away and there are going to be 100%. options on Wednesday, right? Um, well, are they great options? Probably not. But I wouldn't say memory is the greatest option either. So, um, but yeah, for Ottawa... I think they're going to look at it as, you know, obviously they clearly very much want out of this contract. And I think that is probably why the sweetener is going to be a little more than I think it probably should be. But if Ottawa does end up retaining close to like 50%, like it's rumored that they might be doing, I think the team will probably look at that and be like to Toronto saying, we're doing you enough of a favor already eating 3.25 or whatever that would end up being on the cap for the next two years and, and real money too. Right. So yep. um, I, I think that, you know, it is all going to depend on how much Toronto is willing to take under their cap. I, I think if it's a lower percentage Ottawa retained, I think that sweetener will definitely be a larger sweetener. Um, you know, whether that's a prospect or if it's, you know, a, a second or a third round pick or something like that. If it's closer to, you know, Ottawa retains 50 and I've even seen, you know, the idea of a third team thrown in, it doesn't really sound like that from whatever all the reporters are, are, are saying, but you know, if let's say they found that like Arizona is the perfect team all the time for just taking a, a dead contract. Right. But if Arizona took another 800 K or whatever, and suddenly Murray's sitting at 2.75, I don't think Ottawa would be the team that would have to pay that Arizona sweetener. I think that would then be Toronto because yep. Toronto's the one that would need the lower cap hit, right? So, yep. um, yeah, I, I don't want to speculate too, too much on what a deal looks like, and we'll definitely break it down after it comes out. But um, I, I think I'm fine with them trading Murray. Uh, you know, of course, as long as it doesn't come with, like, some massive asset attached to it where it's it, it doesn't make any sense that they traded him or whatever, but I don't really foresee that being the case. You know, I, I could see a mid-round pick, maybe even, you know, a, a second or a third if they don't retain as much as we think, but I just, I don't know. I, I would be shocked if it's, you know, like a legit piece that goes back with that Murray. No, I, 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 I can't imagine it's, if it's a legit piece, you know, 
we just spent all this time singing Pierre Dorian's praises. <laughs> if it's a legit piece going back, uh, you know, I'm gonna have to revise all of my nice things. I, I also agree with you. I would be shocked if it's a legit piece. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if it's like a second, mm-hmm. which would be a bit of a bummer, but uh, fine. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I don't, I don't, I don't want to speculate too much because it does. If, if a week ago, if you told me they were trading them to Toronto, I would have been like, dear God, no, they are going to pay so much for the privilege of doing this, but Toronto seems to have backed itself into a corner. So let's see, maybe, maybe, maybe it's not going to be as bad as we think. Yeah, absolutely. Like I saw Toronto fans speculating that they want like Connor Brown in the package with us. Like that's just not happening. That's not happening. No, no so, I, I absolutely not. Unless Toronto's then giving up something of value, but still. No, yeah. Um, no, no, yeah. I don't think so. Um, real quick, we only have a couple minutes, but I just want to get, you know, is there anything you would like to see this team do in free agency? Is there anyone you want to see them sign a, a position group or would you rather just see them stay put? Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm, I mean, I close Giroux. Obviously, you know, that's <laughs> the one everyone's talking about. Um, I think Giroux would be good and fine. He's still a good player. Um, it doesn't have to be Claude Giroux though. I, I am very much in the mindset that the Sens should be aggressively adding right now. This is, there's a tendency, I think, to view, um, you know, rebuilding and team progress as this linear thing, uh, you know, whereby you can't skip steps and you will continue to improve forever. And neither of those things are true. Um, the, you can absolutely skip steps if you, you know, pull the right trade or you sign the right players. All that matters is that you have good players. It doesn't matter how you get them. And so the Sens are actually very well positioned to try to be good for the next three to four years. Getting to Brinkett was such a big step in that regard. If we'd been having this conversation before the Brinkett trade, I would be a little bit more reticent on the free agency thing just because I wasn't, you know, we didn't know where they were going. But they've traded for Brinkett, which is huge without giving up prospects. They should absolutely be looking to add, um, you know, more top end talent to the team. They should be trying to win now, right? Uh, you know, it seems crazy to say because, you know, when you look at young teams, you're like, oh, you know, their window is going to be open forever. But like Drake Batherson's 24, you know, that's, you know, Thomas Shabbat's 25. He's going to be 26 in January. You know, realistically, if they want to start winning in a, in a real way, it's, it's in the next three or four years, and you should start trying to do that now. So I don't have any particular free agency targets in mind. Um, it would be great if they added Giroux, but the, um, the idea being that they should absolutely be in the market. And if they're not actively exploring that, I, you know, that's, that's a, it seems like they are, so I'm not worried, but it would be a dereliction of duty to just be like, well, you know, let's just see how this year goes. You've got so much, like, We've been through so much shit hockey, pardon my French, for the last, you know, five years. And the whole point of doing all this is to eventually be really good. And you don't stop like two thirds of the way there, right? Once once you get to that point, you need to start doing things like signing free agents or making trades. So totally in favor, no need to stand pat. I definitely agree. I think the one that I've been beating the drum on, and I don't know if they're picks, who would send picks what way, but if uh, they don't think they're going to re-sign Connor Brown, Connor Brown for Jesse Pugliarvi is something that I would be absolutely love, that I would love if they explored that. Um, totally on board with that. That that And Pugliarvi is someone who would likely not be able to command a huge dollar contract because mm-hmm. his counting stats aren't great. 
but he would be perfect on the Sens third line. Yeah. Um, and, you know, give him a little bit of, you know, taste of the top six every once in a while. He would be, he's, he would be great. I I'm totally on board with that kind of thing. It would be a great swap cut down on your cost. Oh, did it happen? Matt Murray trade has Matt Murray, a third round pick and a seventh round pick. Ottawa retains 25%, nothing back in return. Wow. That that's fine. That's, I like that. I don't mind fine. that at that's all. Fine. A third is kind of what we were just saying, and it's only 25%. Yeah, it's it's I I you know what I would like to congratulate us for being pretty close on our predictions. I will give us a pat on the back as well. So there we have it. Um, you know, that, that doesn't really change anything I said. I I, I think that's Me too. that's a pretty good deal for Ottawa, I think. It's um, it's fine. Yeah, I, I, I'll, have to, I'll have to think about it some more. I'm not, my initial, my gut reaction isn't, you know, they got robbed. My initial feeling is it's also not a home run. Like, you know, they had to, they had to retain 25% and they did have to send out two picks, but that Murray contract to me is poison. So I, yeah, it's fine. It's totally fine. It needed to be done. You know, good job. Good effort. Yep. Um, that's about all I had. I, I think, you know, if anyone else is wanting on free agency, I think the one area they absolutely still need to improve on this team is the right-handed D. Um, and, yeah. and honestly, maybe that improvement just comes by not playing Zaitsev or Hamannik or you yes. know, only playing one of them. I don't know if that's going to happen, but um, I, I think if there's one area they should be looking at, it's names like Ethan Bear, who, um, you know, apparently might want out of, uh, I believe it's Carolina he's in now, um, or, you know, I, I've seen... Um, uh, what's his name from Pittsburgh brought up a couple times. Marino. Well. Marino. Yep. And um, there's been a couple other names, but just, you know, kind of second pair right-handed defenseman. I-, I think if you can find someone like that, whether that's free agency or via trade on the cheap, um, I-, I hope that they kind of look at that as well. I don't know if they will because they just trade for Hamannick, but I think that's the, um, the other area of concern, I think for this team going forward. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, I didn't, I didn't especially call it out because I actually have some mild optimism that, that uh, Lassie Thompson will, mm-hmm. will be able to help and, next year. And I, and I completely agree with your point. Addition by subtraction would go a long way. Like yeah. in terms of the helping you just, you don't need anyone that is going to, you know, totally, um, you know, carry a pair. You just need a, a couple guys who are not going to sink it. So. Exactly. Uh, especially with how good their left side looks like it should be. Right. So. Yeah. And, and, may, and again, maybe the same idea, maybe Nick Holden slides over to the right and plays a little bit there as well, yep. because he can play both sides. So we'll I, I would, I would love a Holden Brands from third pair. To me, that would be great. You know, you've got Chabot Zub as your first Sanderson, you know, player X as your second, I would hope for Thompson or someone like that. Um, and then Brandstrom Holden as your third to me would be great. That would be a great third pair. Yep, I absolutely agree. Um, Nate, thank you so much for joining me today. Plug some stuff. Where can people find you and your work? Uh, yeah, so right for Silver 7, uh, the SP Nation site covering the Ottawa Senators, uh, silver7sends.com is the URL. Um, if uh, you're on Twitter, you can follow me at NKB121. And yeah, just, you know, in general, if you're looking especially for draft stuff, I know it wasn't a big draft year or prospect year for the Sens, you know, check out Silver 7. We've got a ton of great write-up on on the draft that just uh, passed by and 
Um, when uh, we log off here, I'm going to do a little write-up on this Matt Murray trade. So you can look for that too. There we go. Absolutely. Go check all that stuff out. It's great work. Uh, the whole team does awesome stuff over there. So keep it up and we'll have to have you on again later when there's more to talk about. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much to Nate for joining me. Uh, it's been a while since I did a podcast, but I really enjoyed that. I hope everyone else did too. Um, you know, I'm just looking now. It's been about two months since I did my last podcast. And, uh, you know, with playoffs going on, I would say there was a lack of sense news for a little while. So that would be a big reason why until the past couple of weeks. So, um, you know, throughout the summer here, I'm definitely trying to gonna, gonna try and get every two to three weeks. I want to get an episode out and obviously we'll have a full, I'm going to get a full breakdown of uh, free agency out, uh, after it happens to break down every move the sends make, um, but yeah, if you want to hear more of me in between sends episodes, you know, especially as the see the off season starts to um, wind up here again, you know, after the sends have been done for a couple months now, but uh, you can find me on the M M&M Hockey Podcast with my buddy Chase McCallum. We do that weekly, and it's not completely sends based. We look at everything around the league, but uh, we definitely talk a lot enough sends on there as well. So um, that's also a spot anyone can find me if they want to. Um, but yeah, thank you all for the continued support. Uh, if there's anyone you want to hear on this podcast, please uh, let me know. You can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff or at Last Word on Sends. Um, that's the podcast account. Uh, feel free to reach out. I believe my DMs are open on both accounts. So um, yeah, if there's anyone you want to hear, just let me know. Um, but uh, I appreciate all the support. Um, just trying to think if there's anything else. You know, we kind of quickly touched on the front office moves. I think. Just generally speaking, everything the Suns have done recently have been encouraging. Uh, a couple, one other thing I didn't mention was obviously Alfie to the Hall. That's an awesome thing to see, much deserved, and and you love to see you know that happen. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think um, the front office moves they've made recently have been smart. You know, uh, Trent Mann is definitely someone who has deserved a promotion. And, you know, a, a well-earned promotion, uh, for sure. There's also Ryan Bonus that they hired, who is the head of scouting for Pittsburgh for a number of years. A uh, young guy, and seems like he, you know, thinks the, thinks the game in a different way, which is always good. I think it really actually feels like, for once, that they have a couple different voices in their head office, which is not something you could say for a number of years now, really, but especially over the past year or two, when... You know, they hired Pierre McGuire. It was kind of obvious that if there was a different voice, it wasn't a good one. And I think that's, you know, you don't want to put all the blame on one person. At the end of the day, Pierre Dorian made it clear he had final call, and so some of those moves still need to fall on him. But uh, I really like what they've done. And um, it's real positive for the Sens. And then, you know, the new arena deal as well. So Or the, the starting for, you know, a possible new arena deal um, in the Breton there where... It kind of looked like that was off the table for a little bit, and now it looks like it's back on. So, um, yeah, I, I think positive vibes in Sensland recently, and rightfully so. It's an exciting time, and let's hope uh, they can carry this momentum into free agency and, and uh, continue to crush this offseason because I'm already starting to get a lot of optimistic uh, uh, thoughts about this next season. So, um, yeah, again, thank you everyone so much for the support. Uh, if you want to find me on M&M Hockey Podcast, wherever you're listening to this, Last word on sends, uh, NHL sends and stuff on Twitter. Uh, and then lastwordonhockey.com. I mentioned I wrote about Colin White. I'm going to try and write. I'll probably be writing about the free agency 
uh, moves that they make, if any, but I want to keep writing throughout the summer, so definitely check that out, and we'll put up great content there every week, so uh, thank you everyone for listening. Talk to you next week.